And welcome back, everyone, to the Cold War Cast. I am your host, Ryan Llewellyn. This is a podcast where we discuss the history and the pop culture of the Cold War. In between recording the last episode, which was about a book by J. Edgar Hoover himself, and, well, recording this episode, an important figure in the Cold War died, and that was Mikhail Gorbachev. Of course, he was the guy that was left holding the bag when the Soviet Union ultimately collapsed in 1991. And he, uh, it was just about a week, week and a half ago that he had died. And to be honest, I haven't thought about him in a while. And it took me by surprise that he was dead. I I thought he was already dead. Um, There's no Mandela effect going on here or anything. It's just, uh, just me not thinking about him. But Mikhail Gorbachev is dead, and he, of course, was an important figure in the Cold War. And in this episode, we're going to, I guess, honor his memory a little bit by talking about a letter, a famous letter that he received in January of 1989 from Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran. And I think this letter is kind of cool because it is very telling of the era and the the final days of the Soviet Union and the last half of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev's reign in the Soviet Union. Now, we're not going to go too far into Gorbachev himself, but um you know, just to sum it up a little bit, his legacy is a little complicated and it kind of depends on like any historical figure, but more so him who you ask on what his legacy is. Now in the West, he's often regarded as a visionary reformer that um, helped to, to bring down the evil empire from within. We tend to view him in the West as a guy that, had the the courage to stand up and say, hey, enough is enough. Now, in Russia, he, I don't, his legacy is more complicated because there's criticism of him as well, where he is seen as the guy that was too weak to keep the Soviet Union going and uh, really capitulated to the West. And instead of trying to steer things back on track, he just kind of gave up and and that's the two uh primary schools of thought about the guy in the world. So he's either a visionary reformer or an inept coward, I guess depending on how you look at the situation. Now, anyway, when he received this letter from an Iranian delegation in Moscow, a lot of things had been going on in the Soviet Union. For one, the Chernobyl disaster just happened um, you know, a couple years earlier and that really exposed um, the degradation and ineptitude within the Soviet Union. It was really a, a black eye on their, their legacy. And, you know, of course, the Chernobyl disaster is something that deserves its own podcast. So we're not going to dive too deep into that right there. But the important thing was that it was assigned to the world that uh, – things aren't going too well in the Soviet Union. And Gorbachev's legacy, the two words that are most often associated with his uh, his time in office, I guess you would say, is glasnod and perestroika. Glasnod was um, 
I forgot what the exact translation was, but it, it was a new sense of openness within the Soviet Union where they would review their historical record and allow for differing opinions, which included criticizing the, the Soviet regime and um, its legacy. Then perestroika was a somewhat of a restructuring of the Soviet economy that made it a little more open and resembled a, a little bit more the free market societies of the West. And um, in a way, I guess you could say it was an admission that um, the economic policies that they had been following weren't working and they were going to try something different. So those are the two terms and um, I, I guess themes that are, are the most associated with Gorbachev. It was pretty clear at this point that the wheels were really falling off the Soviet Union and there was uh, a lot of unrest in Eastern Europe. So it just uh, things weren't going so hot for the Soviet Union. And well, the Ayatollah Khomeini decided to uh, send Gorbachev a nice little letter. And what we're going to do today is we're going to read this letter. The letter is not terribly long, but um, part in part of it, he's inviting Gorbachev in the Soviet Union to accept Islam as their religion. And he cites some very specific things within Islam. And I would suspect that there are some allegories buried within this, but I... I'm not in a position where I can really um, flesh those things out. You know, I'm definitely not an expert on Islam. I, I suspect there's something is there, but we're going to skip the more Islam-specific parts and rather talk about the more geopolitical parts of it. Because I think this is a really interesting perspective on the Cold War. Now, Iran was... They were kind of friends with the Soviet Union, but not really. Now, you could say the Soviet Union was a rival of the United States during the Cold War, where there was still room for dialogue and cooperation on some fronts. But the United States and Iran were absolutely enemies at this point. And both sides, being the Soviet Union and Iran, saw some benefit to each other um, insofar as their relations to the, to the United States. Iran wasn't 100% in love with the Soviet Union by any means, but they appreciated that they were the primary bulwark against the great Satan, the United States. And I'm sure the Soviet Union saw value in Iran's ability to basically screw around with America's access to Middle Eastern oil. So... There was uh, room for – despite their differences, the Soviet Union and Iran, there was room for cooperation as well too is what I'm getting at here. Now, the letter that the Ayatollah sends is warm, diplomatic, and cordial. But in a way, it's kind of funny too. Um, he seems to show some genuine concern for the Soviet Union and the souls of its inhabitants. But in a way, he kind of gets his final digs in on the Soviet Union and maybe takes a little bit of a victory lap. 
I'm sure Gorbachev had to hold his tongue a few times while listening to this letter because um, it, it is critical and um, he points out some uncomfortable realities to Gorbachev. But at the same time, Iran, they were absolutely concerned with the Soviet Union because the coming shift of power in the world would definitely lean way towards the United States. And Iran is going to want to lessen that blow of the Soviet Union uh, collapsing and potentially becoming friendly with the West as much as possible. All right, so I'm going to read this letter. Um, I'm going to guess it's going to take me about 15, 20 minutes. And like I said, I'm going to omit a few parts of the letter that are a little too specific to Islam. Um, there, You just Google um, Gorbachev uh, Ayatollah letter and you'll see a website with this letter um, if you do want to read those parts. Um, if you happen to be very well versed in Islam and there are some hidden gems in what the Ayatollah is, uh, is suggesting to Gorbachev, um, by all means, I, w- I would love to hear your take on that because, like I said, I am not well-versed enough to uh, to really get into that. All right, so I'm going to add my own little quips when uh, when necessary here. There's a couple little things that might need a little bit of clarification. But uh, for the most part, I'm going to let the Ayatollah do the talking. Letter of Imam Khomeini, the great leader of the Islamic Revolution and founder of the Islamic Republic of Iran. To President Mikhail Gorbachev, leader of the Soviet Union, in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful, Your Excellency, Mr. Gorbachev, Chairman of the Presidium of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, with due wishes for the happiness and prosperity of Your Excellency and the people of the Soviet Union. Since your assumption of office, there has been the impression that Your Excellency, in analyzing world political events, particularly those pertaining to the Soviet Union, have found yourself in a new era of reassessment, change, and confrontation. And your boldness and initiative in dealing with the realities of the world is quite likely to bring about changes that would result in upsetting the equations of power dominating the world. I have therefore found it necessary to bring certain matters to your attention. So what he's saying right there is he's... uh, Concerned about the situation on the world stage, so he's got uh, got something to say. Now, even if your new approach and decisions are merely used as a means to overcome the party crisis and to solve some of the problems confronting your people, your courage in reappraising a school of thought that has for decades enchained the revolutionary youth of the world behind its iron curtain is indeed worthy of praise. If, however, you are considering taking a further step forward, the first thing that will ensure your success is that you reevaluate your predecessor's policy of obliterating God and religion from society, a policy that has no doubt given the heaviest blow to the Soviet people. Rest assured that this is the only way whereby world problems can be dealt with realistically. Now, um, at this point, and this is this is Ryan talking here. Um, I probably should have put a little reminder that the conflict in, uh, between the Soviet Union and Afghanistan had, um, I think, just ended at this point about pretty much. And then, of course, within the um, the Soviet Union, a pretty good percentage of the population was of the Islamic faith 
or you know from that you know technically an atheist society but um but from the uh islamic tradition you know um chechnya dagestan down there and so forth so the the um religious tensions were uh, a real thing in russia or the soviet union rather well i guess russia too that is actually a, a thing today as well too but anyway back on Viewing Islam as a remnant of the pre-socialist stage, Marxists took two major approaches to confront it. To wipe out Islam as an alien element from the scene of public life by openly challenging it, and to assimilate Islam into Russian society by Russianizing Muslims. Stalin, the most notorious of all communist leaders, persecuted Muslims on a large scale by banishing certain Muslims people, Muslim peoples collectively to Siberia and Asia Minor. The astonishing number of Russian anti-religious publications distributed in Islamic countries is part of the Soviet government's universal struggle against Islam. The occupation of Afghanistan was the Soviet Union's last attempt to penetrate the Islamic world. Of course, it is possible that as a result of wrong economic policies of former communist authorities, the Western world, an illusory, illusory heaven, will appear to be fascinating. But the truth lies elsewhere. If you hope at this juncture to cut economic Gordian knots of socialism and communism by appealing to the center of Western capitalism, you will far from remedying any ill of your society commit a mistake which those to come will have to erase. For if Marxism has come to a deadlock in its social and economic policies, capitalism has also bogged down. And this as well as other respects, though in a different form. So what he's saying there is um, don't be fooled by the grass being greener on the other side with the West. And although there is tension between the Islamic world, which, um, you know, in, in a way this is a little prophetic as well too, but Iran would have been the the leader of radical Islam as a political force in the world and um and he's wanting the soviet union no matter which path they take to not capitulate to the west and start to to lean towards them because well what he's saying is that all the criticisms they have of the west and um capitalism democracy so forth are still true whether or not um, their Marxist experiment has failed or not. Back on. Mr. Gorbachev, reality must be faced. The main problem confronting your country is not one of private ownership, freedom, and economy. Your problem is the absence of true faith in God. The very problem that has dragged or will drag the West to vulgarism and an impasse. Your main problem is the prolonged and futile war you have waged against God, the source of existence and creation. Mr. Gorbachev, it's clear to everybody from now on, communism will only have to be found in the museums of world political history. For Marxism cannot meet any of the real needs of mankind. Marxism is a materialistic ideology, and materialism cannot bring humanity out of crisis caused by a lack of belief in spirituality. The prime affliction of the human society in the East and the West alike. So that's a part that... Uh, Mr. Gorbachev may have uh, groaned and rolled his eyes a little bit at. And 
really, these sentiments are interesting too because they come up within contemporary Russia as well too. Um, say Alexander Dugin, for instance, the guy whose uh, daughter was uh, recently killed in a car bomb uh, a couple weeks ago. He espouses a a, a philosophy that steers away from Western, you know, decadent liberal capitalism and and communism and wants Russia to seek seek a different more, more spiritual path and um you know so this theme is uh not new in the world that um there are spiritual problems with uh marxism and capitalism the uh dominant uh dominant worldviews i guess of the uh, second half of the 20th century anyway back to it Mr. Gorbachev, you may not, you have not in theory turned your back on certain aspects of Marxism and may continue to profess your heartfelt loyalty to it in interviews. But you know that in practice, the reality is not so. The leader of China struck the first blow to communism and you have struck the second and apparently final blow. Today, we have no such thing as communism in the world. So he's taken, the Ayatollah has taken his shots here and also pointing out, you know, the communism the, the the communist world is tumbling, and again he is just trying to um, bolster up the enemy of his enemies. I earnestly call on you, however, to not get trapped while tearing down the walls of Marxist illusions and the prisons of the West and the Great Sane. That's us. I hope that you will attain the honor of removing the decayed layers of seventy-year communist aberration from the face of history and of your country. Today, those allies of yours that are genuinely concerned about their homelands and people are no longer willing to sacrifice their subterranean and surface resources to keep alive the myth of success of communism, an ideology whose din collapse has already reached the ears of their children. Um, Can you imagine the Ayatollah writing a letter like this to him, say, four years ago, four years earlier, in 1985? Uh, I wouldn't see that happening. Okay, so anyway... Mr. Gorbachev, when after 70 years the call Allah is great, Allah Akbar, and the testimony to the prophethood of the seal of the prophets, Muhammad, peace be upon him and his posterity, were heard from the minarets of the mosques in some republics. All the followers of the pure Mohammedan Islam were moved to tears out of ecstasy. So in the, uh, the final days of the Soviet Union, uh, religious freedoms were... Uh, uh, granted or restrictions loosened, however you want to look at that. And of course, that included the uh, Islamic republics as well, too. Therefore, I have found it necessary to remind you to reflect once again on the materialistic and theistic worldviews. Materialists consider sense to be the sole criterion of knowledge and or the opinion that whatever cannot be known through the senses falls outside the realm of knowledge. They identify existence with matter and consider as non-existence anything that has no material body. Inevitably, they regard the world of the unseen, God Almighty, divine revelation, prophethood, and the resurrection as mere fiction. On the other hand, theists consider both sense and reason to be the criteria of knowledge and maintain that whatever can be known through reason lies within the realm of knowledge, although it is not perceptible. To theists, therefore, existence is inclusive of both the unseen and the manifest. For a thing to exist is not necessarily have a material body. 
In the same way that a material thing depends on an incorporeal thing, sensory perception is dependent on rational perception. The Holy Quran reprobates the fundamentals of materialistic thought in addressing those who say, We shall never believe in thee until we see God manifestly. Then proclaims, Vision comprehends him not, and he comprehends all vision, and he is the knower of subtleties, the aware. Okay, I'm going to skip a few paragraphs that are more uh, religious and philosophical. Mr. Gorbachev, after mentioning these problems and preliminary points, let me call on you to study Islam earnestly. Not because Islam and the Muslims may need you, but because Islam has exalted universal values, which can bring comfort and salvation to all nations, all nations and remove the basic problems of mankind. A true understanding of Islam may forever release you from the problem of Afghanistan and other similar involvements. We treat Muslims of the world as Muslims of our own country and will ever share in their destiny. By granting certain liberties to some of your republics and matters pertaining to religious practices, you have shown that you no longer consider religion as the opium of the people. A famous quote from Marx. Indeed, how can Islam be the opium of the people? The religion that has made Iranians as firm as mountains against superpowers. Is it religion that seeks the administration of justice in the world and man's freedom from material and spiritual shackles, the opium of the people? Only that religion is the opium of people that causes material and spiritual resources of Islam and non-Islamic countries to pass into the clutches of super and lesser powers, and that preaches that religion is separate from politics. This, however, cannot be called the true religion. It's what our people call an American religion. In conclusion, I declare outright that the Islamic Republic of Iran, as the greatest and most powerful base in the Islamic world, can easily fill the vacuum of religious faith in your society. In any case, our country, as in the past, honors good neighborhood and bilateral relations. So it's worth a shot to uh, convert him to Islam, but um, the guy's getting his digs and also expressing his concerns for the way the world is beginning to shape up. And like I said, he addresses a few major themes in Gorbachev's time, um, being that the perestroika and glass knot kind of um, opening up religious freedoms and turning more towards capitalist ideas in the Soviet Union. And, uh, well, the Ayatollah is just uh, letting him know, let him know how he feels about this. So I thought this letter would be kind of a fun one to share today to um, get a little look at how things looked inside the Soviet Union uh, from a different perspective, the Iranian perspective, um, I don't want to say a neutral perspective in the Cold War, but um, certainly a different one. And take note of the the tone that a country like Iran, you know, Iran's, you know, definitely got some teeth to it. It's not a complete pushover country, but it's one that when push comes to shove, would definitely be subservient to the Soviet Union. And here is the the Ayatollah almost taking a patronizing tone against the leader of the Soviet Union. And um, it, it, it really shows the, the position that the Soviet Union was in at the time when, uh, like I said earlier, the wheels were about to fall off and the whole world could tell. 
So that's just one little Cold War perspective, and I hope you've enjoyed that today. I will be back very soon with a new episode. If you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do it is follow me on Instagram or Twitter. And if you want to support this show financially, the best way to do it is go to reddragonherbs.net. That's our family business, actually. And check out what we've got going on there. Um, We just put a a new tea on called Cup of Sunshine that... um, the proceeds for that are going to go to a charity that um, helps uh, helps prevent suicide and uh, promote suicide awareness. We've uh, my wife and I both within recent time have had people, um, you know, friends that have uh, committed suicide. So it's been something on our mind. So check that out if you need any recommendations on tea or anything. Um, hit me up. I'll be happy to help you out. It makes a great gift. And um, so yeah, that's uh, reddragonherbs.net. And follow us on Instagram as well too. Just look up Red Dragon Herbs and Teas. And uh, my wife is pretty good with Instagram. So she's uh, rocking that pretty hard. Well, that's all I've got. So I will talk to you later. Thanks for listening.